Mega Water Gang. This is Historical AF. I'm Keena. And I'm Dion. We are a historian and a special guest bringing you the funny and random historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. I forgot what my topic was for a second. (laughs) (laughs) This is episode 71, Royalty Part 2. I'm so excited that you're here with me. (laughs) I was very excited to do this. You guys have met Dion on a mini, and she's one of her Patreon, but also dear friend, and she's the human Google we always talk about. So, <laughs> And royalty is just a fun topic. It's such a large topic. It's very hard to narrow down. <laughs> it's very broad. Uh, royalty seems to have the weirdest characters. <laughs> hmm it's true. When you know you can get away with stuff, you get to be as weird as humanly possible. And that's it. Like, they're not going to kick... Well, most of the time, they're not going to kick you out. Sometimes they do. But, yeah. Sometimes they just cut off your head, you know. It's true. That's one way to do it. <laughs> next. <laughs> yeah, so next week, I have weird. And I can't narrow it down. So we'll see what I come up with. But as of right now, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to do. Because there's some weird shit. <laughs> So much incest. So much incest. And the incest did a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah, like, uh, what was the king of Spain who had, like, almost no lower jaw and just constantly drooled? Hasberg jaw or something? Is that yes. What yeah. But he had it to the extreme point, and he had speech impediment, and he had <laughs> a club foot. Yeah. That happened a lot in Egypt, too. Well, they just kept marrying their sister and then their daughter if they lived too long. Yeah, I, I keep having to put my Egypt book, history book down because I'm like, oh, they married your daughter, married your daughter. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to get into it. <laughs> oh, Heather's always weird. That's why I love history so much. It's just so fucked. <laughs> I think by the time this comes out, the episode will be out. But I guessed it on You Might Love This. Mm-hmm. And it Insanely Haunted's new podcast. Ooh. And it's they want people to come on and talk about their passions and just they want to put good in the world because, you know, making fun of bagel bites is a little negative, you know, calling them a douche all the time. They're like, we're not really doing anything to help humanity. And they wanted to do something really great. So I came on That's and talked good. about history and I was talking about my expertise in insane asylums. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, this isn't a happy topic. History is really <laughs> depressing. <laughs> I was like, oh, I feel bad. I'm like, because my passion is something so dark. <laughs> But we can learn from it. Although apparently we're not learning from it very well. (laughs) So for those of you that didn't listen to the mini, Deanna's from LA area. That must be a trip. That must be exciting. For all of us outsiders, we see LA, we're like, ooh, bright, shiny lights, famous people. Yeah, it depends on where you're at because uh, I live in Long Beach. So it is the 25th largest city in the U.S., Wow. It's fucking massive. We applied to be our own county because we cover so much. I live on the southern end of L.A. And it can take me anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours (laughs) to get across. And it's only like 26 miles. Yeah, that part would would probably get me. (laughs) Yeah, like I I worked... I worked in Santa Monica for a little while, and it would take me two hours to go. Oh, yeah. Third largest harbor in the world. Wow. That's really cool. And you've lived there your whole life, right? No. Well, I've lived in L.A. my whole life. So I was born in Hollywood. 
sounds so cool. <laughs> it does. It's really dirty. <laughs> Hollywood is disgusting. For anyone who's like lived in LA, Hollywood is nasty. Oh man. Could not pay us to go. I grew up in Burbank, which is where like Disney and Warner Brothers studios are. Yeah. And I actually grew up across the street from Warner Brothers. What? Oh, yeah. It's not cool because it's just really loud. Oh, true. <laughs> I think like little hillbilly me would be like, yeah. that's just so cool. <laughs> I've never been. I, I went to San Diego once and we drove through LA to get to, I think, Santa Monica Pier? Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. We went to Warp Tour. That's how old I am. Yeah, Santa Monica. <laughs> so I didn't actually get to see anything, but only thing I really think it was like, you know, the Chinese theater and the which is horrible and actually one of the filthiest theaters in LA. Really? Yes. I've only seen the fake one at Disney World. And <laughs> but yeah, like the, the I mean stuff the it's side pretty rock. on the outside, but it also smells like pee on the outside because homeless people <laughs> oh god. Uh, yeah. yeah interesting combination <laughs> it's horrible it's really gross oh, man. the only time you go out there is like you want certain you know hole in the wall food like we go out for pinks which is hot dogs but they're like chili dogs that are about a foot long and they're covered in everything you could ever want that was fun ever- when we were early 20s and yeah. we could eat like that Oh, I know, no, right? we like that. We're like heartburn. Oh, got indigestion. I'm dying. Oh, so true. <laughs> do you do any of the like ghosty stuff? Have you been to like the Cecil or whatever it's called now? I think they changed the name. Uh, uh, you know, I don't really go into downtown just because it costs 20 bucks to park. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Yeah. That's my def- friend Andrea and I drove to San Diego. We went to, oh my God, what is the house out there? God, what is the hell is the name of the house? It was like one of the first episodes of, and that's why we drink. Shit, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know you know what I'm talking about. I just can't remember the name of it. But we went, and it was just my, I had the day off, and my friend had three days in between her classes and her the start of her new job. So we oh, drove down to San Diego, because it's only like an hour, two-hour drive for us. Yeah. And then we spent the day, we went to the shipyard, and we saw all the old ancient ships and like recreations and stuff like that and then we went and had dinner in old town actually live uh where i can see the queen mary (gasps) so oh my god yeah they do a bunch of festivals there they do the like highland games on the green in front of the well they do it in front of the queen mary so like they have all these it's really close in the like parking lot area and they set up a green Mm -hmm. and then they do all of the games, and we just sit out there drinking and watch. Oh, that sounds like a great time. Oh, yeah. We have got so much cool history and <laughs> shit. And uh, I just, yeah, when I think of LA, I'm like, I assume that it's probably dirty because most cities like that are, but, but I'm like, oh, but all the stuff, the stuff. Yeah. So many ghosts. I saw that Marilyn Monroe's house is for sale. And her ghost is supposed to be hanging out. I'm like, well, that'd be fun. That would be. Out with Marilyn Monroe. I would enjoy that. I would too. She was a lovely human. Yeah. Tragic life, lovely human. Yep. Pretty much. But that tends to be the case. Yeah. So do you want to go first? You want me to go first? I can go first. I mean, 
We'll see how long this goes. <laughs> I got very into it. It has been said in our little Patreon chat several times. Everybody likes the long episodes. I enjoy the long episodes just because I get more information. And that's kind of why I started listening to this. Is I like the information. We cannot be contained. Nope. All the information needs to come out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I did Queen Christina of Sweden. King Christina, because they didn't have a word for a female ruler. And Queen technically designated the wife of the king. Oh, well, that's interesting. Okay, so she was born December. Okay, so first let me preface this by saying this was kind of at the point where they were changing calendars. Okay. (laughs) I went with the one that was most often used for all the dates. Okay. Just because it was going to throw me off really badly. So if the dates (laughs) are wrong... It's just because I'm using a different calendar. (laughs) And I tried to get as much information as possible, but this was the 1600s, and um, there's a lot of conflicting information. (laughs) You know, it's just... uh, History. History. Arguments. (laughs) Whoever had the best argument won. It's true. It's always changing. Yeah. Just got to roll with it. So I, I kind of outlined everything with Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, well, that's a good one. And then uh, I used a, a USC Scholar paper and the actual uh, website for the castle in Sweden where she was born. Whoa! Well, but yeah, then you're golden. Yeah. Those are all very credible sources. I tried to use my university online library and it was not helpful because it was a lot of arguments for why she was most likely gay or bisexual. Oh, nice! But... Again, arguments as opposed to factual. It's true. Everything is an educated guess until somebody can prove you wrong. Pretty much. So I went with the stuff that they could actually prove. So a lot of this is allegedly. Okay. (laughs) All right. So Christina was born December 8th, 1626 at Trey Kronor Castle in Stockholm to King Gustavus Adolphus Vasa and Maria Eleonora Brandenburg of Brandenburg. Whoa, what a name. <laughs> Dolphus. Adolphus, yes. So she was born at, towards the beginning of the Thirty Years' War, which was from 1618 to 1648. And it was a, a series of wars fought by various nations for many, many reasons. Mostly religious, dynastic, territorial, and commercial. Okay. So they started a war on a religious basis and then just kept going because they had other interests. (laughs) And because they're all cousins, they all had, you know, claims to each other's thrones. That's true. So the royal couple had had already lost two children very early. So the first one was all girls. The first one was a stillbirth. The second one died within her first year. Also Aww. named Christina. <laughs> so they just kept the name. They are very like, creative with their names back then. Everybody was just named the same thing. Yeah. So when she was born, the midwives thought she was a boy at first. Oh. So she was very a very hairy baby and she had a large nose. And I guess she was born with the placenta still. Forgot what that's called. Oh. Um, with the veil over her. Yeah. As yeah, they used yeah. to say. Yeah. So she was called now. (laughs) I knew what it was called. It has fled my mind, apparently. 
everyone was very nervous to tell the king. So they all kind of fought over it. And their decision was made that they would come out holding the baby. (laughs) They're like, this one survived. Please don't kill us. We made a mistake. (laughs) So they, the midwives, you know, came out and told him. And nobody told the queen for a few days because she was known to be very mentally unstable. So they presented the baby to the king and he was perfectly fine with it. Apparently he's like, well, she's going to be intelligent. She's already made fools of us all. Oh, I like that. Good perspective. Definitely. Her mom went into a manic state for several days upon hearing that the baby was a girl. Oh, do you think it was like postpartum maybe? No, she was known for many years to be very mentally unstable. Oh, I hate that. A lot of royal stories that I've read, you know, they're like, oh, she was crazy or she was manic. It's like she's probably just bipolar and there was just no way to control manic episodes back then. Yeah. And that's probably most likely what was wrong with her mother. Mm. So the Thirty Years War was Catholic and Protestant. I think Sweden at the time was Lutheran, I believe, because of her mom's unstable, you know, mental state. She was mostly left in the care of her father's sister, Catherine. Okay. Her father was, again, in the wars. He was very gung-ho about these wars. And unfortunately, he died before she turned six. Oh, no. So this left her mom to have another mental break. So Queen Maria refused to have him buried following his death. Um, and instead kept him in a jeweled coffin inside the palace so she could go visit him and caress his body. Oh, man. Grief that, is weird. Yeah. Grief is really weird. <clears throat> Can't imagine already being manic and then dealing with such a s- strong loss. But then, but also she's the most powerful person in court now, essentially. So people are probably like, what do we do? We just let it happen. There's nobody. No, actually, because she had a daughter and Sweden did not have any rules against female entailment to the crown. Oh, her daughter was automatically, you know, in charge. So Maria kept the body in the pretty jeweled coffin. (laughs) For 18 months until members of the council finally intervened and he was buried. Wow, that's a long time. That's a lot of smell. That, that's a long time. And this is pre, you know, embalming. And if she's caressing him, then she's opening that lid a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's smelly. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So. Oh. It hurts my heart. It does. (laughs) Like, probably just in so much pain. I just can't imagine everybody else in the palace being like, what do we do? (laughs) Like, who's got to tell guys? Who's going to do something? (laughs) Who's got to go clean that room? Rock, paper, scissors, man. Oh, God. Yeah, I cannot imagine. So a council of five regents was elected to run the country until Christina came of age. Uh, The council was headed by Chancellor Axel Oxenstierna. (laughs) And Christina was actually fostered out to the noble families to try and keep anybody from getting preferential treatment when she came of age. Oh. So they kind of cycled her out to uh, all the families. That's really interesting. I thought that was pretty cool. Keep everybody from getting preferential treatment. I'm not going to keep her. You're not going to keep her. It's like hot potato, but like with a child. (laughs) (laughs) Sad, 
because I that's probably not good for her. But know, there's no stability. No. I hope they were all nice to her. You would think, because you know she's going to be queen, yeah. and they kind of need her to survive. Otherwise, you know this war is going to get worse, and somebody else is yeah. going to take over. That's so interesting. I can't recall any other royal child being passed around. Yeah, we've seen them get exiled for yeah. you know other reasons, but never really cycled out just to make sure everybody got a chance to suck up. <laughs> That's the perfect way of putting it. <laughs> when she was a child, her father said she had to be educated as a prince. Oh, okay. So she was actually tutored by Johannes Mathai, theologian who was in charge of one of the university in Sweden. Wow. So yeah, they brought in amazing tutors for her. Oxen Stierna actually instructed her on politics from the age of 14. Okay. So the council did not try and keep power from her, oddly enough. That's really interesting. So they actually, the head of the council brought her into uh, council meetings starting at age 14. Wow. This is just all what to do as as opposed to the what not to do. (laughs) All these people are genuinely helping her and not trying to steal her power. And this is blowing my mind. I know. This is why I love this story. (laughs) This never happens. (laughs) So this is why I picked it for funny because all of these things just made me giggle the whole time. This is, this is like the, bizarro universe what we wish would happen for like all the other royals basically much, yeah, yeah this is, all the this females is... that had to you know fight for power yeah. yeah this is wild she kept it on her own merit and everybody else was just kind of like hands off she's doing it that mm-hmm. is so cool she was very very outspoken so there are multiple quotes that i found and none of them really did justice about how much she hated the feminine arts Oh, I love it. So she was actually very well known for even when she had to dress like in, you know, feminine clothing, she would wear men's shoes. I don't blame her. That seems way more comfortable. Hell yeah. And one Spanish ambassador's confessor, a Jesuit priest, Manashid, commented in 1653, she is nothing feminine about her except her sex, her voice, her manner of speaking, her walk, her style, her ways are all quite masculine. So she actually wore men's clothing. She refused to brush her hair except for in state of uh, when she had to go to state functions. She rode astride instead of side saddle. She learned to hunt and she learned politics, which is really cool. Do you think that she did it because she just wanted to or if it was like strategic from an early age that if no. she acted family, then she would have more power? Well, I mean, she was... The only time she was brought home was to be surrounded by grown men that are part of the, you know, council of regents. But how progressive for her her father to do that. He had already lost two children, both Mm -hmm. of whom were female. He had no legitimate heirs except for her. Mm -hmm. This was the last of his line and his wife was completely unstable. So, Man, can you imagine if like Henry VIII would have done that? Just accepted (laughs) daughter and be like fuck yeah you're gonna be awesome and you know there's yeah. two kinds of things you know <laughs> pretty much he was one of the few good ones who just yeah. kind of he's like well this is what we got let's run with it yeah i i like the mentality i mean it still sucks that for a woman to be powerful she has to be a man 
But well, it also, uh, I'll get to it later, but she's quoted as saying she did not enjoy the feminine arts when they tried to teach them to her. <laughs> she was, I know it was very boring. You had to sit still and like learn to sew and boredom, boredom, boredom. Yep. Anyway, also, what can you do in Sweden? It's fucking cold. Right? It's All the fun good. stuff is outside. <laughs> it's true. Okay, so she uh, learned to fence, ride astride, hunt, studied politics and languages, as well as philosophy and many other manly subjects, quote unquote. She spoke Latin, French, German, Dutch, Greek, Italian, Spanish, and even Hebrew and Arabic. Oh my God. She is amazing. Right? I can only speak one and like I have one and I can get food and one other. Yes, I can order food and Spanish. That is about it. And okay, I can say I don't know in like three languages, but that's that's it. <laughs> yeah. I know how to curse in five, but that's just <laughs> that's just that's what I like to learn first. They're the best. That's I the know. best thing to learn first. <laughs> I had etiquette lessons and I had to go to women's club meetings every Sunday with my grandmother. Wow. Yeah, I don't recommend it. It's very boring for a six year old. You have lived a life. <laughs> I can still curtsy with a book in my head. My mom always like, you would flunk charm school. I'm like, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I know how. I just do not do any of them. So I can yeah. sit properly. I can, you know, the only thing I have is I have really good posture now as an adult. It's well, the only good. thing I can say. I can't do the Texas dip. There, there's no fucking way. My knee oh. would give out. I have a bad knee and I would just fall over. You know, I need to look that up after Wine and Crime did it on their <laughs> live show. <laughs> Anyone who's been to Cotillion knows exactly what it is. <laughs> Anyways, back to Christina. Back to Sweden. <laughs> okay, so it was widely speculated that she was lesbian or bisexual, but she is known to have had romantic if not sexual relationships with men and women just by her letters that we still have because a lot of them were destroyed mostly they reference for women her relationship with a noble woman named ebba spar or spare they shared a bed because it was one of her lady higher ladies in waiting but it's also sweden so it was very common practice because you stayed warm yeah fucking cold (laughs) very cold It's very apparent that Christina, you know, cared for Ava. She intervened in her marriage, making sure that she married well and stayed close to court. Ava was, I think, engaged twice. And the first one was broken off by Christina. Oh, okay. And the second one was arranged, I think, in part by Christina. That's really interesting. So one of the few letters we have after Ava's departure from court is, I am condemned forever to love and adore you without being allowed to see you. Happy I cannot be so long as I am far from you. In me, you will find one who is devoted to you as ever. Oh, that is so sweet. It's but sweet. So oh, that's really interesting. And especially with royalty, there have been several, you know, speculations of being, you know, bisexual or homosexual. And it's just so sad to think that they, if they would have lived in a different time, that it would have been okay, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know. They must have just been so sad and felt like they couldn't love who they wanted to love just because people well, are dicks. <laughs> yeah, no, she didn't quite take this lying down. Let's say. Oh, good. Oh, good. I knew I liked her. She just 
continuously surprising me. I'm just yes, it's very. Inter- this is the reason I went down a rabbit hole with this. Also, the Swedish are very. I mean, now they're very progressive, progressive and sexual, but not like in a weird way. But like they're very comfortable in their sexuality. Mm-hmm. That's like and Swedish actors are always naked. Like- yeah, and they're also well. I mean, you go to the hot springs with a bunch of other people, and you're naked. It's fine. I- mm-hmm. Hey. I don't really yeah. care. <laughs> it's like the scars guards. They're always naked and things. I'm not complaining. I appreciate it. I Thank definitely you. appreciate it. Like Alexander Skarsgård is just beautiful. a beautiful man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. And so she took full control at age 18 in 1644, but she wasn't coronated until 1650 because of the ongoing war with Denmark and other places. And as an adult, it became very apparent that her, her political views were very different from the man who instructed her, Oxenstierna. Huh. So he still retained control of the council, and they had more closely related to the parliamentary monarchy. Mm-hmm. So the council also had a say in how everything was run. Oh, okay. Even when she took power. But she that still did have the power. Mm-hmm. So she was a primary figure in the Peace of Westphalia, which was the treaty that ended the Thirty Years' War. Oxenstierna and Christina sent separate envoys to negotiate peace. Oh, wow. Yeah, peace was brokered, and Sweden was actually granted, uh, awarded lands and indemnity, which they used to pay their army. What? Yes. Because all these soldiers had been at war for so long and being paid a pittance, and they've been promised all of this money. So to keep the peace, she actually used the indemnity to pay her soldiers what they were owed. That's amazing. That never happens. Especially not in 1600. So this is no. 1648. That, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> it's kind of like an emperor's new groove. Like, you should have thought of that before you became poor. Yeah, poor. Like, yeah, yeah, you're a soldier. Too bad. That's what you signed up for, you know? Like, but to well, actually pay them and. Right. That's just insane. But that's also going to get them on her side, too. Exactly. So she was an impressive politician. She managed to keep class rivalries at a minimum during this because it was going to devolve into civil war at this point. The poor hadn't been paid. The rich still had their lands and were still, you know, they still had money, Mm -hmm. but the poor were just suffering. So the indemnity was a way to keep civil war from happening. So, oh, again, so... impressive politician. Yeah. Her envoy was sent to the treaty negotiations just saying, end this war. We don't need the, like, crazy lands Oxenstierna is asking for. We don't need all of this other crap. We need to end this so I can pay the soldiers and stop hemorrhaging money, basically, and resources. Wow. Where Luxembourg was fighting for a little bit more mm-hmm. and more, you know, rights to things and more. Yeah. She wanted it done so she could manage what was already her problem. Yeah. She was like, that's- one problem at a time. Let's not. Yeah. And that's the smart way of doing it. <laughs> exactly. So, unfortunately, she wasn't able to solve the country's financial issues following the war because she was also big on spending on art. Oh, oh, man. And entertainment for her court. So it was not well received by the other nobility. She actually sought to make her court a center of learning and art 
she actually earned the title Minerva of the North. Oh, wow. So she was said to rise at 5 a.m. every day to start reading before she began her duties. What? <laughs> I've never read about her before. She is like my perfect story. I know, right? <laughs> Again, I'm still only on page two. Is who I was in a past life? I hope so. <laughs> you and me both. You oh. and me both. Okay, so she invited eminent authors, scholars, and musicians to her court, including Rene Descartes. Oh, my God. Who actually began her instruction on philosophy as a teenager. That reminds me a lot of Catherine the Great, too, just having the philosophers and the art. Mm -hmm. That's For those of you who don't know, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. So he's that guy. Ever heard of him? Kind of a big deal. He rose at 5 a.m. to instruct the 22-year-old queen in philosophy, even though he was very well known for not rising before 11 (laughs) a.m. So he was not happy about this. He did not enjoy this. He actually wrote the statutes for the Swedish Academy of Arts and Sciences. Oh, wow. That's While he was there. (laughs) And then uh, Descartes died in her court on February 11th, 1650, after catching a chill during one of their early morning oh, teaching no. sessions, <laughs> which eventually turned into pneumonia and killed him. Oh, that sucks. I hope she didn't feel bad about it. Like, guilty. I don't think she did. They did, weren't said to get along too well, but she enjoyed oh, the debate with him. See, she so is she, amazing. She liked to fight. <laughs> she liked to have somebody on her intellectual level, which... Because of her extensive education, mm-hmm. there's not many people who could do that, man or woman. Definitely not woman at the time. I just Googled to see what her portrait looked like. And the first thing that the first result was Queen Christina of Sweden, lesbian troublemaker. <laughs> that one's just very massive. Oh, no, she was, she was known for not being a pretty woman. <laughs> oh, so are these? Oh, wow. Yeah, no, she's not. Poor girl. It's amazing that. They didn't just lie. Most portraits were like, make me look Oh, no, no, they did not. It's kind of rumored that she might have been intersex. Or, again, so there were a lot of, you know, questions about her. Mm -hmm. But, like, also after the fact, a lot of the times people start all those rumors. This is her as Minerva of the North. And then later I have a couple of pictures of her and her, you know, old later years and okay and we'll have these on social media and another so you can watch this (laughs) and see me the photos (laughs) shameless plug man that's just that's just interesting okay so the nobility kind of thought she was giving away too much towards the end of her rule Mm -hmm. and by end of her rule i mean i think it was in her 30s Mm-hmm. We're on, we're only halfway through this woman's life. She lived to like sixty-eight. Oh wow! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, she appointed seventeen counts, forty-six barons, and four hundred and twenty-eight lesser nobles. Oh, so she was wow. trying to give a lot more people a lot more power, and the current nobility did not appreciate that. Oh, yeah, that that checks out. <laughs> but Nobody wants to give up power. Her reign actually saw a lot of really cool things happen. She saw the first Swedish newspaper 
first countrywide school ordinance. Wow. She encouraged science and literature. New privileges were given to towns, and uh, there were a lot of advancements in trade, manufacturing, and mining. Wow. I am so impressed. <laughs> so this is why I wanted oh to do this story. My gosh, just <laughs> a gape. I am I am so blown away. Of why did we not all know about her? This is insane. because she's a woman in history, so she's swept oh. under the rug. <laughs> I hate how history does this to women that they deserve yes. so much more. So she actually abdicated in 1654. Oh wow! She was being pressured to marry. She is very much on the record as saying she didn't want to get married ever. Mm -hmm. She had no interest in it. She was actually very interested in the Catholic priesthood and how they did not engage in sex or any of that. So she was very interested in how they thought by purifying, keeping their bodies pure, they kept their minds open to things. Mm -hmm. I love this because she just, she makes a statement and then she completely defies it. <laughs> the rest of her life. When she abdicated, she pled illness and cited the burden of ruling was too heavy for a woman. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Oh, These are the no. reasons she gave publicly. <laughs> so the real reasons are disputed. It's often cited that because she didn't want to marry because she was gay or bisexual. She didn't want to mm -hmm. be married to some nobleman that she didn't like. And... That's she had either already secretly converted to Catholicism or was planning to. Okay. So what she did is she chose her number one suitor as her heir. <gasps> wow. So this was her cousin, Charles X Gustave, who was crowned on June 6, 1654. And by the way, they had actually had a romantic relationship as teenagers. And then he went off to war and came back and she was like, eh, I'm kind of bored with you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of, you know, marrying him, she just named him her heir and was like, your problem now. Bye, dude. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs> Enjoy. These but this council is your problem now. <laughs> so wild. But honestly, that is the most brilliant response. And then she just gets to live her life. Exactly. Wow. I'm sure the pressure, especially being a woman, you have to work 50 times as hard to be treated way and worse. She, she apparently did. Rising at 5 a.m., good Lord. She, she needs a break. I, I get so, it. She left Sweden dressed as a man, cut all of her hair off, and traveled hmm. south. Huh. Unfortunately, her journey south kind of start marked the beginning of her financial issues because she still retained land and wealth in Sweden, but getting the money to her became an issue for many, many years. Okay. So she actually sold a lot of her art and jewelry on the way South pay for her lodgings and whatnot. So she continued to have financial difficulties throughout her life because her revenue from Sweden arrived slowly or never at all. But she eventually arrived in Rome in late 1655. Having already converted to Catholicism, Pope Alexander VII openly welcomed Christina, his famous convert. So this wow. is like his pride and joy. Hey, look, we got a royal to convert to Catholicism. Oh, and yeah. she's 
you know, and being from Sweden, much like, you know, the UK, it was the Swedish monarchy was in charge of the Swedish church. Mm-hmm. So she had to wait until she left Sweden to be openly Catholic because oh. she did not want to start another war because that's another yeah. way to start <laughs> religious wars. Holy crap. This is so interesting. <laughs> she actually quickly fell out of favor with the Pope oh, no. because she lacked piety. So she freely enjoyed parties with men and spoke openly with them about politics, debating in these salons that she was throwing. She told body jokes and even sat and is noted to have sat like a man. Oh, so like no, one leg up. <laughs> One leg up on the chair, reclining, you know? Yeah. So she invited a lot of scholars and artists to salons at her apartments. Mm -hmm. And throughout her life, Christina was actually friends to four popes. Oh, wow. Alexander VII, Clement IX. Sorry, I have to do math with the Roman Roman numerals. Clement X and Blessed Innocents XI. That's a lot of popes or just a lot of short-term popes. (laughs) Like, well, the first two were, uh, I mean, kind of, but then again, you get to be Pope when you're like older man. Yeah. yeah so like uh, Alexander the seventh was 1655 to 1667. Oh, okay. So not too bad. Clement the ninth was 1667 to 69. So his was very short. Mm-hmm. Clement the 10th was 1670 to 1676. And Blessed Innocent the 11th was 1676 to 1689. Wait, his name is Blessed Innocent? Yes. Huh, how did I not know that was a pope? <laughs> I think it was to kind of set him apart from the other innocent. Because, I, I mean, he's the 11th. You had to, like, set them apart somehow. Wow, okay. Okay, so after a short time in Rome, she became involved in negotiations with the French chief minister, Cardinal... Mazarin, yeah, I think that's right, and Duke <laughs> de Medina, an Italian duke, to seize Naples from the Spanish. Oh. So during these negotiations, it was decided that Christina would rule Naples as queen, and following her death, Naples would be left the French monarchy. What? <laughs> so she traveled to France to negotiate the terms. This <laughs> is such a, a plot twist. Years. I know, right? <laughs> so she gave up Sweden. She's like, I'm bored now. Let's go take over. <laughs> yeah, let me take another country now. Pretty much. So she traveled to France to negotiate the terms, and she spent a lot of time in the court of Louis, the, oh dear God, 14th, and his mother, Anne of Austria. Oh. And she was well received, but she, she, you know, dropped a lot of jaws for being masculine. I was the Sun King. Yes. He, was, he liked his gold. <laughs> he liked a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as Queen of Naples, she would no longer be financially dependent on Sweden. Mm-hmm. Again, she was having a lot of trouble getting her revenue from them. They didn't want to send it. It was a long journey. They're like, this is kind of a pain. We don't, we don't really want to do this. Mm-hmm. And she would be able to act as a mediator between France and Spain oh, wow. with her power as Queen of Naples. So she really enjoyed the politics of it all. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. Judging. The but way she, her brain works. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure she had a best time. 
All these plans ended up being for nothing because in 1657, while visiting the palace at Fontainebleau, she ordered the execution of her equerry, Marquise Gian Ronaldo Maltangesti. <laughs> Another a name. what a name, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know I said that horribly. <laughs> French so. is so hard. No, this is Italian. Okay, so Italian is so hard. <laughs> Marchese Gianni Rinaldo Maltan Monal Jesse. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, my most recent Rave Rage on Patreon is an Italian and I was oh, like, oh, this 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 is so That's like 20 names. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, I know my uh my grandfather was Francesco Cicciara, but I'm not great at it. <laughs> That's a, all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> and spaghetti. Spaghetti. That's a good one. Okay, so an equerry is an officer of the household of a royal or noble who had charge over the stables. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Horses, equines. Yes. So she alleged that he had betrayed her. So the details kind of remain unclear because she handled it in-house. Oh, okay. Which was why it was not well-received. So the French court did not approve of her execution of him. Because she immediately executed him, having found this out. Oh, wow. Okay. And they did not receive it well because she refused to give any reasons behind it beyond her royal authority. (laughs) She's like, I'm a queen. He betrayed me. It's treason. He had to die. So uh, basically because I said so kind of thing. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Okay. All right. So they didn't quite kick her out of court, but she was frozen out. So she wasn't. So she knew when to cut her losses. And Pope Alexander did not really receive welcome her back to Rome. Oh, no. So she kind of returned to Rome, but it was, you know, on shaky terms. So she continued to visit Sweden two more times throughout her life in 1660 and in 1667. Her trip in 1667 was a welfare check on the country because her cousin Charles had died, very much like her own father, and his young son was set to inherit. The nobility did not want her back (laughs) (laughs) because, again, she had given away a lot of lands, you know, trying to maintain peace in the country. And now she's Catholic, and they are Lutheran, and she's not welcome as, you know, the leader of the country. So during her visit in 1667, she was coming back, and she stopped in Hamburg, where Pope Clement actually sent her a notice giving her his support to attempt to take control of Poland. Oh, man, another country? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She really enjoyed doing this. She's really collecting them. Like, gotta have them all. So her second cousin, John Casimir of the House of Vasa, had abdicated the throne following substantial losses of lands, titles, and the death of his wife. Oh, okay. He lived out the remainder of his life as the titular abbot of St. Germain de Press until his death four years later in 1672. So he went to that pretty island abbey in France to live out his life. Okay, well, that's That's the only reason I included it, because I just get that image of the little island. It's so (laughs) gorgeous, and I really want to go there. Yeah, yeah. And you can only go there twice a day when the tide is out. Oh, yeah. I believe that's the one I'm thinking of, so hopefully I'm not wrong. If I am, my bad. (laughs) 
Okay, so the Polish monarchy at the time was an elective one. Because oh. she was a member of John Casimir's house, the House of Vasa, she had a claim. Mm-hmm. So she kind of threw her name in for the Polish crown, but she didn't really want it at this point. She was enjoying her life in Rome, and lucky for her, she was not selected to be queen, and she got <laughs> to return to Rome <laughs> very happily. So in Rome... Throughout her, you know, back and forth years, she had a very strong relationship with Cardinal Decio <laughs> Azonoli. Yes. Also, Azolino, Azolino, who was a major player in church politics. So oh. right up her alley. She yeah. really liked getting involved. So he's widely rumored to be her paramour in some fashion. Oh, okay. So with, and this is supported by her letters to him which were not decoded until the 19th century the late oh, 19th wow. century so all of their correspondence was decoded and very little of it survived because following her death Azanoli Azolino is rumored to have destroyed the majority of it Aww. because again he's a cardinal she's a former queen that's true <laughs> a, little, a little too salacious for the time bit. oh yeah. I mean come on Borgia's <laughs> Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think he was still trying to maintain power, and this just kind of would have put him on rocky foundation. Mm-hmm. So he kind of, he did pull her into church politics with him a lot. So she was insistent on pursuing the Christian war against the Turks. She even added her own pension to the war treasury, not keeping it. So she oh. turned over her pension, aiding Pope Innocent XI, who was eventually victorious in this war, although victorious because... I mean, holy wars are never something that were any good for anyone. And by 1661, she had finally found a trustworthy administrator for her Swedish lands and was financially secure. So it took all this time to find somebody. (laughs) It's 30, you know, it's almost 30 years. Yeah. Uh, Her palace in Rome is the Riario, is now the Corsini on the Lugara, Lungara. At the time, it actually contained the greatest collection of paintings of the Venetian School of Art that has ever been assembled. So this is stated on several sources. It was the greatest collection ever assembled of these artists. Amazing. On top of that, many other sculptures, paintings, you know, just gorgeous works of art. She collected everything. She loved art. (laughs) Knew I loved her. She turned her home into a meeting place for musicians and men of letters. She founded the Academia del Arcadia Academy, which is uh, for philosophy and literature, which still exists today. I was about to say, I actually know that one. <laughs> yeah. She was the instigator for the first public art opera house in Rome, the Tordinona. And she found and sponsored Alessandro Scar. Scarlatti, who became her choir master for the opera, and Arcangelo Corelli, her orchestra director. And these are still famous today for their arrangements. Yeah. On top of that, she befriended sculptor and architect Giovanni Bernini. What? Who called her his yes, who called her his savior for convincing her friend, the famed art historian Filippo. 
Balducci to write Bernini's biography while Bernini was being discredited in 1680. Oh, wow. Yeah, Bernini. He had a beef with Michelangelo, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So she Man. actually preserved Bernini's, like, reputation. How fucking cool! <laughs> <laughs> and she was renowned for her militant protection of freedoms, her charities, and was actually listed as the protectress of the Jewish people in Rome. So in 1686, she issued a declaration stating the Jewish people of Rome were under her protection and ceased the customary chasing of the Jews during Carnival. I think I love her. And her declaration in part read, Jesus Christ had all his life conversed with Jews. He himself was one of their seed and... He preferred their company to the company of all other nations. Now judge ye yourselves of his answer. Signed, Regina. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> what a mic drop moment. That's amazing. So she signed that in 1686. Wow. And remember, at this time, she's living in Rome. I think it's her palaces were part of the Vatican or at least adjacent. And now we get to the sad part. She died in 1689. She is one of the only women buried in Grada Vaticana in St. Peter's Basilica. One of three women. That's, yeah, women don't get in there often. No, she's one of three. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Her extensive book collection and manuscripts are now a part of the Vatican Library. Oh, man. So she left if everything. Well, <laughs> if we could get in there, the things that we would look for. So I'm going to show you two more photos. It definitely, if I could do a fly in the wall moment, it would be the Vatican. Hands down, no question. I need I to know, know what right? they have. Okay, so I have Queen Christina as queen. Oh, okay. Well, this one's a little bit more feminine. Yeah, well, that's her uh, coronation one. So. Mm-hmm. I liked how her crown is like in the very back of her poofy hair. <laughs> right. <laughs> just hanging 1600, out. Right some of that is just, and then this is her as an old, in her old age. Oh, okay. One of the things that they mentioned is that she was known for knowing her mother did not like her, uh-huh. even as a child. So she apparently had many minor accidents around her mother, including one that left her with one shoulder higher than the other. And even she said, I know my mother pushed me. Oh. Yeah. And then this is her sarcophagus in St. Peter's Basilica. Oh. So that was just really cool. That was really cool. (laughs) So, yeah, this is my new hero. Same. (laughs) Holy crap. I, I am so glad you did that. I didn't know any of that. So it started off as I'd heard about her just because of those weird Uber facts things Mm -hmm. that go around the internet Mm -hmm. and every so often. And one of them was like, yeah, she, the guy tried to marry her. So she adopted him, made him king and then took off and decided to conquer other places. And I was like, (laughs) well, I have to look into this now. (laughs) So for years I've known like just little things about her just because I looked her up and Mm -hmm. now I'm like, yeah, I love her. Yeah. She's extraordinary. <laughs> just, it's just so cool. She lived such a life. She accomplished a lot. She 
got to do what a lot of royals never get to do and leave the country and then go be like, ah, I'm going to go take this country now. That never <laughs> <laughs> She did it twice. Yeah, like, it's just, that's wild. So that was my funny. Oh, I loved because it. Because it made me so giggle good. the whole time. Yeah, it's just also just laughing like, how is this real? <laughs> exactly. You never Man. hear about this stuff. This is always swept under the rug or sh- they're not allowed to do this no matter yeah. how hard they try. And she was like, no, I'm in charge. I'm doing this. What a badass. God, I'm a big fan. All right. Before we get into my random, let's have a word from a sponsor. Hello, friends. Last time I talked to you about modern fertility, I had just sent in my test. Well, I have gotten my results, and let me tell you, I am impressed. So once your results come through, you log on to the website, and it is so streamlined, it is so easy to understand, and it is so delightfully easy. So it gives you all your test results, and then it does a summary. So it talks about your ovarian reserves, your ovulation, and your general wellness, even down to when they predict your menopause will be. Like, what? And one of the coolest part about it is that you can print the report and just have it ready to send it to your doctor, which is what I did. And I know I mentioned before that I was curious whether or not I had PCOS. And since then, I just handed this packet to my doctor and boom, I now have a PCOS diagnosis. So modern fertility helped a lot. It gave me a really good insight into what my future might be. And I highly recommend it. So if you're wondering who should use modern fertility, it's any uterus haver in their 20s or 30s. It's for people that want to have kids in the next five years, people trying to get pregnant now, people considering freezing their eggs or doing IVF. It could also be that you're a mom considering another child, or it could be somebody that doesn't want to have kids at all and you just want to know what your health is like. And if you go to the doctor and your insurance doesn't cover these tests, it could be over $1,500. But this entire test that you do at home, you don't even have to see a human being, is $159. And you get the results in less than 10 days. You don't have to wait. It is amazing. I highly recommend it. And if you want to get $10 off your modern fertility test, go to modernfertility.com slash historical AF. Again, that is $10 off at modernfertility.com slash historical AF. All right. So my segment is random and Rachel gave me the word empire. So fitting. And I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to geek out over Egypt's golden empire and the pharaoh that is easily in my top three favorite historical figures ever. So I'm really excited. So we're going to jump back in the way back machine to the 18th dynasty of Egypt, which is classified as the first dynasty of the new kingdom, the Uh era where ancient Egypt achieved its peak of power. And I'm not just saying that I love it because two badass women were in power during this dynasty, but I'm also saying that it probably is. Yeah. (laughs) I like it so much. Well, that's probably why it was, uh, I lost the word. Words are... (laughs) Words are hard. Um, Words are hard. The most successful dynasty. Yeah. And there's two for sure. And there's another one. Oh, uh, another one that's argued to most likely. Yeah. That, uh, I forgot, Semenkere or something. There's people that question whether or not that's actually Nefertiti. So another woman. So there's like a 
few in there, but this is the dynasty where you got like Akhenaten and Nefertiti and King Tut. So very, very famous. Yay. Um, which I always be like, it's my favorite, you know. So all the famous people. That's not why I like it. King Tut's just famous for being so insignificant. Nobody oh. robbed him. <laughs> That's my hot take. <laughs> Everybody's Pretty like, much. Yeah. It's it was the only one that they found that was intact. So mm-hmm. it's the one that we learned the most from. Yeah. Not to say he wasn't great or anything. He just was in a Have weird you- visionary period and didn't get to achieve much. Yeah. Have you seen the documentary on Disney Plus about recreating his tomb? No. Oh, so they actually, it's a documentary about bringing all of the stuff that like had been lent out back to Egypt to create the new museum. Oh, wow. Okay. And like they're rebuilding his freaking sandals bead by bead. Ooh. Hell yeah. I'm going to watch that after this. <laughs> Fun fact ancient Egypt was actually called Kemet during ancient Egyptian times. So if you ever hear people talk about Kemet, that's actually Egypt, but in Egyptian. I took a African art class. It was probably one of my favorite classes, but we had to learn all the ancient Egyptian words for everything. It was really cool. I really appreciated that. But Kemet just means black land, and it's because the Nile floods and it leaves that really rich black silt. Mm-hmm. So, anywho, this is about Hatshepsut, baby. I love yes. her. Oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> I think I just finished that chapter in my book. Oh, I love her. So Hatshepsut was the elder of two daughters, born to Tutmos the first and his chief wife Amos. And who doesn't love a good name analysis? So Amos's name means born of the moon, and then Tutmos means born of Thoth, and he was the god of the moon. Of the reckoning, learning, and writing. I thought that was interesting that both of her parents were like moon based. If you're into the. Well, were they also brother and sister? Because that could. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people do tend to go with themes with their kids. So that's true. (laughs) But Hatshepsut's name means foremost of noble women, which I also thought was really interesting since there was this moon theme that hers was just like completely left filled but also almost kind of like prophetic you know because she ends up being foremost of noble women mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like that's just a little fun name stuff before we get to all the death <laughs> Tut Daddy dies pretty early on and she was very fond of him like very fond so that was really sad so after her dad died 12 year old Hatshepsut became queen of Egypt when she married her half brother Tutmos the second and Tutmos is also known as Tutmosis. It just depends on what source you are. If they're all the same people, people spell everything a thousand ways. <laughs> Sorry, you say then all I can think of is the beginning of the mummy. Oh. <laughs> and she says, Tutmosis, what are you doing here? And then just destroys the library. <laughs> I love that movie so much. <laughs> One of my favorites. I can quote it backwards and forwards. Yeah. Brennan Fraser is a treasure. I love oh my god i forgot his name but he plays jonathan <gasps> yes he's oh, so amazing so adorable i saw somebody on tiktok i'm on tiktok too much but they were like hear me out and they were trying to cast who they should be in the live action hercules and they had brendan fraser as zeus and i'm like i see it and i love it and let's do this he's okay with adorable. that he needs to be <clears throat> more movies that's my take he does <laughs> 
but most Moses, whatever you want to call him, he was the son of her father and his secondary wife, much no fret and had inherited his father's throne around 1492 BCE. Although, I mean, they're half siblings, but it wasn't gross to them because that's just how they did things. But to us, it's very uncomfortable. So, yeah, they they went by the God's example. Mm-hmm. God married their brothers and sisters because that's all there was. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> not great for the gene pool. But it's just how they did things. It wasn't weird to them and nobody would have found this weird at all. And during this time, Hatshepsut was also elevated to the position of God's wife of Ammon. And that's the highest honor a woman could attain in Egypt after being queen. So she was already elevated to queen and then she was given this extra boost. So that didn't happen very often. So she was already at a pretty high standing. They would have one daughter together. So ick. Her name was Neferure. Uh, again, spelled like three different ways. And I th- that's kind of a mixture of all three. So I'm sorry if I butchered it so hard. We so, can yeah. forgive you because it's in, been translated through many languages before it got to English. Yeah, because some of the translations is like a ray and some are the raw. But like the raw is going to be more associated with the god raw. And it's just depending on who's who's writing it down at that because egypt was really flipping between amun and Ra for a while so it's 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 a fun time so anyway so her husband brother and her have a kid (laughs) but not long after teddy the second died he was also pretty young and that was 1479 so he only reigned for 13 years which is not a huge amount of time considering some pharaohs ruled for a pretty long time. Anyway, so the throne went to his infant son, who was born to secondary wife named Iset, although some sources call her Isis. So, again, no way to know. (laughs) And since he's a baby and babies can't rule a kingdom, she stepped up and was like, I want to be regent. So this is the beginning of her power play. So there's two theories about what happens next. So the first theory is after about seven years, she's like, fuck this. You know, like, y'all, I'm just keeping this throne warm for a baby, but I'm killing it. I'm doing all the work. I'm just going to go ahead and become king. That's just what I'm going to do. So that idea is that she was ambition led, you know, that she was like, I need all the power and stuff. So that's the thing that's been historically, I say historically, we didn't even know she existed until like 19 recently. Yeah, so it's very, it's very recent. But that was kind of the thing, like, oh, a woman couldn't be king unless she was ambitious and bulldozed everybody. Well, that's not true, because in ancient Egypt, they'd let females be king because they ran out of alive members of the royal family. So until they decided who, which family got to take over next, Mm -hmm. they left the queen in power because it was less bloody. (laughs) I think it's more controversial with her because she is the first one in the history of Egypt to take the full power of Pharaoh. The other queen was kind of settled with just being queen, but she was like, nah, I'm I'm Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Yeah. Which was mine. Didn't really go over very well. (laughs) Like today we can easily say she was one of the greatest Pharaohs Egypt ever had, but back then she was not very popular, which is really sad. So, The second theory is actually more recent, and they think that this power move was a result of a political crisis, so that there was a threat from another branch of the royal family that was about to kind of 
swoop in this power vacuum. So she jumped in so that she could save the throne for her stepson. That's more of the very recent. This is just in the last couple of decades where people are like, she probably knew that if she didn't preserve it, then. But this was probably also to her favor because she was putting the pieces together to put her daughter in power too. So to preserve the throne for her stepson ensured that that power was left for her daughter. It's also a running theme with powerful queens. They had an infant on the throne. They were in charge and they're like, well, I'm going to take full control because everybody else is fucking up and I need to (laughs) save this for the baby because otherwise both of us are going to (laughs) die. So it's also self-preservation. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it had to do with that. But she probably also knew that whoever this weird branch of the family tree is not going to be able to help Egypt. So she's probably Mm -hmm. like, nah, I could do a better job. So I'm going to do a better job. But whatever happened, she became the fifth pharaoh of the 18th dynasty. And she's regarded as the best of all of them. Oh, I just love it so much. I know people, like I said, King Tut's famous just because he wasn't robbed. But, like, this is the same. <laughs> like, Akhenaten, he was very powerful, but he was very hated because he was like, let's be monotheistic. People didn't like that. And, you know, there was really no one else. I mean, Cleopatra is, like, super famous, but she struggled her whole time. And it she's didn't also, end up. She's also famous just for her romantic liaisons. It's, it's very true. It's very like sad. they She's rarely they rarely discuss the fact that she was super intelligent. One mm-hmm. of the few queens that was also educated, much like Christina. Yeah, she was taken to you know political events with her father. Mm-hmm. So she was the only one educated to take the throne. Mm-hmm. So fun fact: Hatshepsut was only the third woman ever to become pharaoh. In the 3,000 years of ancient Egyptian history at this time. But she was the first to attain the full power of the position. And it wouldn't be until Cleopatra, 14 centuries later, that anybody else would assume that power. It baffles me that Cleopatra is closer to our time than she was, like, the pyramids being built. That just blows my mind. And did you see they found the gaping cavern underneath one of the great pyramids like they did a ion analysis they did something scientific so they found a giant space underneath inside oh my god so there's something in there (laughs) we just can't get to it i need to know now (laughs) i found it on like pbs i was like what tell me more i know that they recently kind of uncovered or they're currently excavating the city around or the ancient city around the pyramids where the people that built the pyramids stayed and there's that's been like the controversy is you know used to we all assume that slaves built the pyramids but the more evidence they get kind of seems like they were very well paid and they were actually workers so it's kind of switching that narrative too so we really know nothing, and every day somebody's proving we well, know nothing. <laughs> also, in order to get the specifications just right, you want somebody who knows what they're doing. So yeah, you probably you would need- prefer a paid worker. Yeah, very skilled worker. Yeah, it, it makes sense because it was very precise, and it was a lot of, I mean, a lot of muscle. Math. Yeah, a lot of math and muscle, but I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah. So all that stuff just fascinates me. But you know what I do know? Aliens didn't do it. I know that much. (laughs) Uh, But because she was a woman, they didn't make it easy on her. I know you're shocked. (laughs) I know I've blown your mind here. So even though she had high status, she was a queen. And she was also given that religious status as the wife of the god Amun. They were still like, hmm, it's fundamentally wrong for a woman to rule with the full power of a man. And she's like, nah, I got this. So this power grab was very controversial during that time. And she had to fight her entire rule to defend its legitimacy. And so she was like the OG publicist slash PR slash propaganda. She was amazing. Everything she did was to legitimize herself, but it was brilliant. But also a little thing to think about. She is regarded as one of the greatest pharaohs of all time. And she did that while fighting the entire time to prove she was legitimate. Like imagine what she could have accomplished if she wasn't fighting everybody the whole time. Like she still managed to be amazing. But if she didn't have to fight to prove that she deserved to be there, she probably could have been ruling the world, honestly. So the power moves to prove herself. First, she started by making a new name. It was Matkari. And it's translated as truth, which is Mat. And Ka is soul. And Re is sun god. So the keyword here is Mat. And it's this ancient Egyptian expression for order and justice as established by gods. So maintaining and perpetuating Mat is to ensure the prosperity and stability of the country really legitimize herself as a pharaoh. So even her name itself is saying, I am put here by God to protect the balance and justice of this country. So that was a really good, smart move on her part. And then she began her reign by marrying her daughter to Tutmosis III, which this is also kind of, some people say it didn't happen. I am going to subscribe that it did because she did care for her daughter and she was going to make sure that she was taken care of. Mm-hmm. So this idea is that she married her to the the, the baby <laughs> and that she gave the position of God's wife of Amun to her daughter so that her daughter would be the queen and that high religious position like she was when she got power. So she is putting her daughter in the position to possibly do what she did and be the most powerful person. And there's people that argue that there's no proof. So, I see both sides, but I believe this one, just how strategic she was. I believe that the first thing she would do is set her daughter up. And also, if her daughter's set up, then so is she. Yes, it proved because then she's the stepmother and the mother of the next ruler, and she's fine. She's, you know, the pretty much all royal families, the queen mother is usually pretty well off. So she's definitely protecting her legacy and her life. Since these precautions weren't enough, her next play is just genius. She claimed that the god Amun had appeared to her mother in the form of Tutmosis I, her dad, and together they conceived her, thus making her a demigoddess. So not only is she saying, like, I'm a queen, my dad is this person, like, now I'm a god, so now you cannot tell me I can't be pharaoh. She's really good at this. Brilliant. She's playing game and she's playing it very well. And there's an inscription in one of her statues in her um, temple. And this is what it says. (laughs) He, 
meaning Amun, in the mm-hmm. incarnation of the majesty, her husband, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, the I, found her sleeping in the beauty of her palace. She awoke at the divine fragrance and turned towards his majesty. He went to her immediately. He was aroused by her and he mm-hmm. imposed his desire upon her. Mm-hmm. He allowed her to see him in his form of a god and she rejoiced at the sight of his beauty after he had come before her. His love passed into her body. The palace was flooded with divine fragrance. <laughs> that just sounds dirty. Yes. So ye old pornography, I guess. <laughs> so this is her conception story that she had chiseled into a temple <laughs> to be like, I'm a- good for her. <laughs> and then she furthered her legitimacy through reliefs on public buildings, showing that Tutmosis the first made her his co-ruler so she's saying well while my dad was alive i was his co-ruler so that means i'm next in line so she's kind of twisting that narrative as well and she says that the god amon had actually sent an oracle predicting this rise to power and it linked her to the expulsion of the hyksos some 80 years before so then Mm -hmm. she's tying herself into the biggest Thing that happened in Egypt. So the new kingdom is marked by kind of the freedom from the invasions of the Hyksos. So she people remember it. So she's using that to her advantage too. Little historical detour. The Hyksos were Semitic people who established themselves <laughs> in Lower Egypt and they gradually assumed enough power to control the region. They were defeated and driven out of Egypt by Amos of Thebes around 1570 BC which initiated this new kingdom. The later Egyptian historians regularly characterized the Hyksos, and they're actually interchangeably called the Asiatics too, as hated tyrants who invaded Egypt, sacked temples, and desecrated shrines. Even though these claims were all exaggerated or just untrue, the Egyptian memory of the hated Hyksos was so strong, and she made good use of this because she wanted to be associated as part of the rulers that got rid of these people that terrorized them. So one of her inscriptions reads, I have restored what was destroyed. I have raised up what has been shattered. Since the Asiatics were in the Delta of Avaris, when the nomads among them were overturning what had been made, they ruled without the god Ra and did not act by divine decree right down to the majesty's time. So she made it some of her first orders as Pharaoh to rebuild what they had destroyed to kind of be like, I'm the savior so she presented herself as a direct successor to Amos, whose name the people still remembered because he was the great liberator. So she's using that to be like, my family line saved us. Therefore, I saved us. <laughs> she's good at this. Like her PR game is strong. She shot, shot, sought to <laughs> reinvent image and in statues and paintings of the time, she ordered that she be portrayed as a male pharaoh with a beard and large muscles. And that was to show that she was Pharaoh, not that she was just some queen. She also surrounded herself with supporters and key positions in government, including Cinema, her chief minister. Some people say that they maybe had a romantic relationship, but there's really no evidence to suggest this. Like, not all women in power have to live some salacious lifetime movie love story. Like, she could just have men, powerful men around her that are partners or oh, what am I think? What's the word? <laughs> I've completely forgotten entire word. It's okay. I do um, that all the time. Uh, I'll remember it later. But yeah, he was just an, an advisor. <laughs> yeah, that's 
That's close enough. He was just an advisor. He helped her. And there's also a lot of statues of him with her daughter. He acted as a tutor. So he was very important to her. As Pharaoh Hatshepsut undertook ambitious building projects, particularly around Thebes, the Temple of Karnak grew once more under her supervision. And she constructed a lot of things, including some giant obelisks. Some of them still exist today. They're really impressive. I always like obelisks. They're so simple, but they're just so cool. Yes. Uh, The country was at peace during almost all of her reign, and she was able to exploit the wealth of Egypt's natural resources. So she was able to rebuild too, because she wasn't worried about all this war and shit. Another great achievement was her trading expedition. She authorized that brought back so much money, including ivory, ebony, gold, leopard skins, and incest. Incest, incense. Oh my god. <laughs> well, I mean, we were talking about left. a lot of incest. Yeah. Oh, that's not what I meant. And and she brought back a lot of this from a land known as Punt. A whole country, very rich. We don't no really, idea where it was. Mm-mm. There's people that kind of guess that it's modern day. Um, how do you say that? Eritrea, Eritrea, Eritrea. No, yeah, that's, that's nope. That's a never-ending story. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like Eritrea, but I've never seen that word before in my life. I don't think so. <sighs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And she also carried out public works programs across her empire, but it was concentrated around Thebes and she had theological centers and she also built a network of like roadways and sanctuaries. So again, with like really powerful women, they tend to put in public works. They work with the arts, building programs. This is all something you see in all these badass women we all talk about. It's amazing. And her greatest achievement was the enormous memorial temple at Deir el-Bari. Terabari, Terabari. Yeah, it's really hard to say fast. <laughs> and it's actually considered one of the architectural wonders of ancient Egypt. Big deal. Her temple rose from beside the River Nile with a long ramp ascending from the courtyard of trees and small pools to a terrace. Some of these trees were brought from Punt, and they're the first known successful trans- transplant of trees from one nation to another in history. Well, that's just cool. Right? If we knew what kind of trees those those were we might be able to like narrow down where the hell punt was i know right there's some of them are fossilized i don't know if that'll ever help us if they could ever figure that out but yeah some of the trees are fossilized and they're stumps and you can still see them in the courtyard today Hmm. i think that would just be so cool that's the other thing about ancient egypt you know if you go today and you go to all these temples and stuff it's just sand but back in the day it was just gorgeous gardens and water and trees and yeah, they are literally what not to do during climate change. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the lower terrace was lined with columns and a ramp that led up to a second terrace. So it's really impressive architecture. This is like number one on my uh, bucket list. There are so many number ones on my bucket list. It's just sad. <laughs> Spilled into the cliff. Just a multi-level item alone back then is just amazing. But like the ramps are really big and impressive and it just goes up and up. But yeah, at this time, like the ramp would have kept going and these were all the trees would have been. It would have been pools. Just 
or just amazing. Yes. The temple was decorated with statuary, reliefs, and inscriptions of her burial chambers. They were actually carved out of the cliffs. Hatshepsut's temple was so admired by the pharaohs who came after her that they all chose to be buried nearby, which created what would be known as the Valley of the Kings. Hell yeah. So all of them chose to be buried there just because they wanted to be near her stuff. (laughs) I'm like, that's so cool. She built on a grander scale than any other pharaoh before her, and with the exception of Ramses II, anyone that came after her. Building projects are so massive that there are very few giant museums in the world that don't have something from her that time or from something she commissioned, which we were talking before we started recording that when we went to the Louvre, like there's pieces from this area. And that was like the one thing I wanted to see because I just love her so much. The exact nature of the military campaigns is really unclear because it was very peaceful. But I mean, she had to have a military campaign because the whole idea of the warrior king bringing wealth to the land, blah, 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 through conquest was happening. And it would be a way for her to legitimize her position as well. But she was also not like unnecessarily fucking shit up. Yeah, because she knew when to chill. Yeah. And also during this time, like, she was ruling the country, so it is most likely that she gave the military aspect to Tutmosis III. So she probably gave him command of her armies and gave him, like, small jobs to do just so he could prove himself to her as useful as a general and also keep him out of her way. So And it was probably safe for him, too, because she could have probably easily, like, you know had him taken out if she thought felt threatened. So it was a very mutual beneficial relationship for for a while. <laughs> and this is where things start to get wonky. So in 1457 BCE, Tutmosis III led his armies to put down a rebellion from Kadesh, which is a pretty famous campaign. And it was most likely anticipated and commissioned by Hatshepsut. But afterwards around that time she disappears from historical record ah someone in the palace didn't want her around anymore and then in a real dick move he backdates his reign to the death of his father and takes credit for all of her accomplishments (sighs) like every other woman in history rage yeah (laughs) disappears So he went on to rule for 30 more years, and he was an ambitious builder like his stepmother, and he's known as a great warrior. Some people even call him the, quote, Napoleon of ancient Egypt. They're both dicks, so checks out, I guess, but. Well, he might have. (laughs) He might have the pinky. (laughs) Yes, I, (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to say it's true. There's no way to not know, you know. Right. It's possible. Well, I mean, if we find him, we might be able to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) so was erasing his stepmom from history a big fuck you to her possibly he might have wanted to erase her you know as an example of a powerful female ruler it's possible they'd be like well you know if she was so good then women are gonna want to be rulers and we can't have that so he's probably i would assume it's because she was a woman Personally, that's where I'm going to go. And then there's some people that said that he wanted to close the gap in the dynasty's line of male succession. So getting rid of her also just makes sure that only his line going forward 
there's no way to know. That's the him erasing everything makes everything very complicated because now we only know his side. Yeah. And it's oh, so frustrating. But you know, like in Jurassic Park, where they're like, life finds a way, you know? We life found her. Finds a way. We found her. She was saved after hieroglyphics were found in the inner chambers of her temple. And since the Egyptians believe that erasing somebody's name from history erased them from their afterlife, some people believed that he intentionally left a few things of her name not to like completely like kill her off, you know? And that's the nice version. People being nice to him. And I feel that, like he just forgot a couple of spots. That's what I think. So <laughs> people are thinking that, you know, he deleted her from public things, but then like left some in the private that normal people wouldn't have been allowed in the temple because it was sacred. So nobody would know. The more likely to me is that they hired a bunch of people to go chiseling shit. Egypt's hot. Chisel and rock is hot. They probably were like, nobody's going to see that. Just <laughs> or they didn't notice it. That's what I'm assuming. But yep. thank God they did, because now we know that she exists. Exactly. So in 1822, this is a very large jump into the future. Yes. Jean-Francois Champollion. French is hard. And yep. he's most famous for deciphering the Rosetta Stone. So that's impressive. But he actually found one of these and was very confused as to why it described this person as a woman, but she looked like a man. And luckily, he didn't give up and he just was like, I'm going to figure this out. And from that, he was able to crack this code that Hatshepsut was a pharaoh. And that's how we know about her. The Rosetta Stone guy. Yay. Thanks, dude. (laughs) So whatever happened to her, this the great mystery. Not the, so much of a mystery. <laughs> yeah. The British archaeologist Howard Carter, you might know him from King Tut, he discovered Hatshepsut's tomb while excavating in the Valley of the Kings in 1902. When he properly explored the tomb in 1920, two years before his famous discovery of King Tut, he found two sarcophagi, one was for Hatshepsut and one was for her father. So that was probably another legitimizing move of hers to make sure that her and her father were buried together since she was like, he made me queen and blah, blah, blah. Um, But they were both empty. So people were like, where'd they go? And then in 1903, a little bit before that, he had opened another tomb called KV-60 and he found two partially disturbed decaying coffins that had two women lying side by side. One had the inscription of Citrae in, and it was Hatshepsut's wet nurse. And then the other one had nothing. So at that point, they take the one that has the inscription to the Cairo Museum, and they leave the other one in the tomb. So then it's not until 2006. This is so recent. I know. (laughs) Blown my mind. So 2006, Egyptologist Sahi Hawass. So if you've ever watched any Egyptian show on History Channel, that's that dude. He's all over the TV. He was reinvestigating this mystery around Hatshepsut for a television special aired on the Discovery Network. And I remember watching this. (laughs) And he decided to remove the second sarcophagus and be like, maybe there's something to her. Because it's not unheard of for like with grave robbers and stuff, them to continually move royalty. She was in the Valley of the King, so she had to be something. 
The scan revealed that this mummy was an obese woman. He's really mean. He keeps on calling her the fat woman after this, and it makes me mad. So she was an obese woman between the age of 45 and 60 who had bad teeth. That was the quote from this. I'm like, put some respect to the name. (laughs) She also suffered from cancer, and they found it in the pelvic region around the spine. In the search for more clues, he suggested that they should examine the artifacts associated with Hatshepsut. And one of those contained a small wooden box that had the cartouche of Hatshepsut and the royal seal, and it contained a liver. But they also found another box that had a single tooth inside. So he calls a dentist who comes in there and he studies the scan of the tooth, as well as a lot of female mummies. To kind of be like, who's missing teeth? Maybe one will fit because teeth are very unique to a mouth. So they're like, well, maybe we can figure it like a puzzle. Who does the tooth fit into? So this is a quote. It says, not only was the fat lady from KV60 missing a tooth, but the hole left behind and the type of tooth that was missing was an exact match for the loose one in the box. So the exact dimensions of teeth are unique to each mouth. The molar tooth in the box fits within a fraction of a millimeter of the space of the missing molar, which they think could have been due to erosion of the gums after the tooth was extracted. So normally if you lose a tooth, like your gums will change just a little bit, but it was almost perfect. Like Cinderella in a shoe, but tooth in a mouth, you know? Oh, very <laughs> much more gross version. <laughs> There's your Disney story. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, here's another quote. The discovery of Hatshepsut's mummy is one of the most important finds in the history of Egypt, he said. Her reign during the 18th dynasty of ancient Egypt was a prosperous one, yet mysteriously she was erased from Egyptian history. Our hope is that the mummy will help shed light on this mystery and the mysterious nature of her death. So as far as they can tell, she had cancer, she was diabetic, and she had an impacted tooth. So... For a while, like, I've heard different things. Some people think she died probably of a tooth infection thing because a lot of people died from tooth infections because it can go to your brain so fast. So I'm assuming. But she also had cancer and diabetes. So it's really hard to say which one took her out. But she was probably around 50, 45, 50. So she lived pretty good for back then. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's more likely that she died naturally. And that he chose to just kind of like toss her out, take control, and then erase her. So it's not likely that he had her murdered. So also, I don't know if he had the power to do that while she was true. That's what I'm. I think it's probably like an opportunity. He was like, "Well, she's dead," or like in person group. Well, she ain't getting any better. <laughs> erase her pictures. Put mine up. We're good. Yep. Yeah. Also, just quick, what happened to her daughter? Nobody knows. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So it seems that she's depicted in her mother's funeral temple. So she had to be alive at that point. But then when her advisor, that Cin- uh, I didn't even write his name down, the cinema, whatever. <laughs> cinnamon. Cinnamon. <laughs> yeah. Cinnamon. We'll call him cinnamon. He had two things built and she's in the first one, but she's not in the second one. So there's some thought that maybe she died before that. But there's some people that think that she did marry Tutmosis III and that his eldest son, Amenha, was her child. But there's no concrete evidence to prove such. So there's some people that try to translate things saying that shows that she was queen and that she was the wife of the god Amun and stuff and had power. But there's no way to know. 
But it's almost completely agreed that by the time Hatshepsut had died, she was already dead. Which was probably also another reason it made it easier for him to erase her. Because he's like, eh, she's gone too. <laughs> just They're all gone. Seems like all her advisors had died too. So she probably just didn't have anybody to protect her at that point. <sighs> so why do I love her so much? Her reign was characterized by peace, advances in art and culture. And I just love women in history that when they get this power... Their reigns, you know, like Elizabeth I, peace, art, prosperity, like building programs. Yeah. We both did, both of our stories did that. They did. Yeah. And it's like in ancient Egypt, like today, you just can't keep a good woman down, you know? (laughs) Like they try to erase her. They try to make sure nobody knew she existed. But you know what? Today we know her as the most successful pharaoh of all time. So. Cheers to you, my lady. <laughs> like, there you go. And the final quote I found, I, I love this little idea. So it says, the story of Hatshepsut will probably never be complete. She's like an iceberg. And this is from Joyce Tilsley. I don't know. She's a scholar and author of the 1996 biography, Hatshepsut, the Female Pharaoh. On the surface, we know quite a lot about her, but there's so much we don't know. She believes that Hatshepsut may have been keenly conscious of her exceptional place in history. Quote, this is just speculation, but I think she was almost aware that she might be forgotten or that her actions would be misunderstood. Towards the end of her reign, she erected a second pair of obelisks at Karnak, one with the inscription that reads, quote, now my heart turns this way and that, as I think what people will say, those who shall see my monuments in the years to come and who shall speak of what I've done. And I was like, oh, I'll speak about what you did. <laughs> this is very true because everyone knows her name and no one knows her stepson. Or yeah. Her- I mean, I'm sure she's just like, what the fuck is a podcast? But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> You're on a lot of them now. <laughs> well, I mean, they believe that if so long as your name was spoken, you lived in the afterlife. Yeah. So, And I just. She wins, he loses. Yeah, she does win. And it's like whether or not he was just trying to preserve his legacy and didn't mean anything by it. I mean, she wasn't mean to him. I don't know why he would hate her other than an inferiority complex, probably, that she was well, so I powerful. Mean, and That makes a lot of sense just because of examples in history where that is the entire... <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, he probably... I mean, I'm assuming strategically, maybe he just thought that he wanted his own legacy and didn't want to be in her shadow anymore. And it's it's really a shame. And I'm just so glad. Like, I don't know if it was intentional to leave just a few nuggets for people to figure her out or if it was unintentional, but regardless, someone, it happened. Someone did it on purpose. They're like, we're just gonna leave this here. Yeah, I hope so. I think that'd be really badass. Like if somebody that was working, you know, liked her, be like, "Well, you know, fuck you, dude. I'm gonna leave that one. We can do about it. <laughs> You're not gonna come down here and check." <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Thing, and I also love that we just now found her, 2006, and there's just so much more to learn, and we're still finding things. We're still you know, translating. There's just so much more we can learn. Yeah, I just love that we both picked women that were just <laughs> like, yep, I got this. I'm going to be king now. Yep. 
And there's actually a movie on Christina of Sweden called uh, The Girl King. Oh, okay, cool. It's not that. very historically accurate. <laughs> they never are. <laughs> Except for the fact that she wore men's clothing and refused to brush her hair. <laughs> Which, hey, I can totally understand because um, it's a lot of work. It is. That's why it's always in a bun. <laughs> it's My hair is too heavy. So, oh, like, yeah. when I take my hair down, my neck just pops. No, it's just so cool. We didn't know what we were doing, or she didn't know what I was doing, and I forgot what she was doing. <laughs> it's very unintentional. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't really tell you. I just said I'm doing something on Sweden. It's true, yeah. So we didn't know, but it's there's a lot of parallels, you know. Like, there were both their bad kind of set them up, and yeah, it's just years difference. And smart, but also just handled it. Yeah. To be kings, not queens. I love it. You know, I always think about like who I could have drinks with or somebody with history. And I'm like, a bunch of these women. I think it would be a good cocktail party. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I really, I really want to know. Was, uh, oh, dear God, Elizabeth Bathory. Was she insane? Or was she just in charge and they didn't like it? See, that's the thing. I, I, I tend to always believe the idea that people just made shit up to make somebody look bad just because that happens so often well, but she was just she was more powerful than the royal family like she was, yeah the royal family all owed her money yeah so i would believe that they were just lying you know oh, it yeah. makes for a good horror story but i just i i tend to it's like Anne Boleyn, you know after her death the stuff they yeah. said about her and and some of it wasn't said until like a hundred years later. Yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff I really, especially researching for this, you know, you have to dig through like even the bathroom. Re- I had to dig through probably like 30 sources before I found one that was like, mm, maybe, maybe yeah. she didn't. That because you know, if you really think about it, it's impossible to bathe in blood because blood coagulates. And I'm like, you know what? That's true. It it's does. very true. It would get there would be no bathing. I mean, it would just be a giant lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah it would be- <laughs> like it makes more sense, you know. Like it's it's such a extravagant story and it's interesting, but when you really dissect it, it falls apart. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I can totally see her, you know, torturing someone in the basement. Yeah. But I can also see her doing that to maintain power because mm-hmm. her husband was dead. All she had was daughters and, you know. It's true. But some of those people are like hundreds of people were murdered. When like she killed all the peasants' kids, people would have noticed, right? <laughs> well, also, who would be working the fields? And yeah. how would she get her money if all the peasants were dead? Mm-hmm. I think that people that benefit, I think that's also part of it. When you look at history and you see somebody like her that people have said so many horrible things about, look who accused her and then look to see what he benefited out of her being taken out. Like he benefited a lot by her being deemed crazy and locked away. So stuff like that, I'm like, "Mm, that makes sense. And like Anne Boleyn, you know, Henry benefited by her being a witch, you know, because then nobody questioned him cutting her head off. She's first queen. Yeah. And him getting remarried the following day. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Even people were like, what's wrong with you? 
I think that's when people start figuring out, being like, that's not cool, man. <laughs> like, yeah. And then they all start to feel guilty about Catherine because they're like, well, if he did that to her, then he was probably lying about her too. Yeah, yeah right. That whole thing about like him coming out after their uh, Catherine, his wedding night with Catherine of Aragon and like boasting that he got there first. Mm, yeah. Not a good yeah, look, dude. Not, Not a good, a good look. look. Yeah, he was he was a wild man. Like, and I also with him, I kind of subscribed to the the brain damage after that accident because he changed so dramatically. Yeah, that's a good theory. Uh, I do think history also has a way of, you know, balancing out. Like the one thing he wanted was a powerful son to do his legacy, and then it ends up being Elizabeth, the one that's the greatest ruler his of all time. Choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The one that he was like, no way she could do that. You know, yeah. kills her mother, throws her all like out like trash, makes sure like she's imprisoned, and then boom. Yep. Freaking Elizabethan area, bitches. <laughs> I do find some people get their comeuppance, you know, in history. Yeah, that was actually one thing I read about Christina. She read a lot of biographies about Elizabeth. Oh, cool. So she was very entertained by the notion of that a woman didn't have to get married and could, you know, rule a country by herself. Oh, that's exciting to think. So I think that kind of fed her notion that she's like, meh. <laughs> Who needs it? She did it. I can do it. You know, that's really interesting. When you think historically, like, oh, old time, but that they all were influenced by each other in some weird way. That's just yeah. really cool. But thank you so much for joining me. This has been such a good episode. And I just love how there's so many parallels. And it just, they both went together so well. And now my brain is just exploding. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know about her. And yeah. Because I just love hearing about amazing figures in history that are just so ahead of their time, you know? Uh, well thank you again for joining me this has been an amazing episode I'm just so excited that you joined me I learned so much and then we have part 3 of royalty coming up next week with Otter Limits Podcast they're coming back yay, yay. so they're going to be giving us some morbid fun <laughs> you can, there's you plenty can of really, that there's so much morbid history with royalty I'm sure they're going to have a field day and if you want to join Patreon and watch this live and be able to co-host and all that good jazz, it's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And I need stories for our listeners episodes. So that's historical AF pod at gmail.com. Any stories, anything will work. Nothing too <laughs> short or long. <laughs> and uh, I think that's it. Okay. Bye. Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Jane. And we have a brand new podcast called Bedknobs and Broom Flicks, where we talk about witches of the entertainment world. From the horror movies Warlock, Suspiria, The Witch, and The Blair Witch Project. To the more comedic or whimsical, such as Harry Potter, Hocus Pocus, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and The Blair Witch Project. No movie, TV show, or book is off limits. All witches, man witches, sorry warlocks, we're not calling you that. Witches brews, witches of history, familiars, and witch-like activity will be discussed as we laugh and have fun talking about the wonderful world of witches. So join us every other week for some fun witchy talk. All witches welcome. <laughs> <laughs>